What is depression really about? Is it just a chemical imbalance in your brain or is it environmental or could it be something more? And welcome to the 30th episode of the Mentally Fit Muslims podcast. I'm your host, Saba Malik. Today, inshallah, I'll be having my friend on Maliha Mohsen. We've known each other for a long time. And today we're going to be talking about a book she read called Lost Connections and how depression can actually have in a lot of environmental causes. And that has to do with your connections with other people. You may already know that Mentally Fit Muslims is a non-profit organization. Alhamdulillah, we got that status after one year. So we need you to donate and contribute to this organization so that it is sustainable and you can keep getting quality content about your mental health. And not only that, inshallah, with your contribution, this organization can sustain itself long after we're gone and it can benefit the next generation. You might have also noticed that our website has gotten a new look. Alhamdulillah, my husband and I have been working on it for the past few months and I hope you like it. If you have any comments or feedback, you can leave us a message on the website. Just go to the contact button at the top of the website and we'd love to hear from you. So go on mentallyfitmuslims.org slash sustain to make your contribution today. All right, enjoy the show. Assalamu alaikum, Liha. Waalaikum assalam, Sabah, how are you? I'm good, alhamdulillah. It's so nice to have like an old friend on and I'm just so glad that you agreed to this and it took a while to get you on. You're a busy person. I'm not that old, Sabah. <laughs> I mean, we've been old friends, not that you're yeah, old. Yeah, I know, I know, I know what you mean. Yes, um, uh, yes, uh, you know, things happen in life, so we couldn't do it last time but um, I'm here right now great great um, so I've had lots of people on we talked about bipolar a lot I think I've talked the I've, I've talked so much about it. I'm getting kind of tired so I thought why not have someone else's um, perspective on a different thing which is actually more common which is depression so before we do that like get into such a heavy subject do you want to share a bit about yourself um, I am Maliha. I am your old friend. <laughs> yes. Uh, we, um, we settled that. <laughs> yes. Yes. I've known you for about, what, 20 years now, probably something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I think we met in, at university well, where we were studying or did we, we I think we met through my sister also. Yes. My older sister yes, knew yes. you and your yes. husband. And I remember the first time I needed help in chemistry and he was teaching a chemistry class. Yeah. So I went in there and I got some tutoring and that was really good. So mashallah, yes. you have a great husband. <laughs> in chemistry, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. And uh, the first time I really connected with you was um, I was just looking at my old emails. And what I do is when I get a really good email I Mm -hmm. save it and it's a folder called uh, rainy days oh nice yeah I used to have a rainy day box but I moved so much that I lost the box so now I just save it in my email emails and I just read it again right before our little chat right now Mm -hmm. and in there 
I'm, I'm not going to say everything that you wrote because it's quite personal, but it brought back the same emotions and my eyes got teary and I just felt like I gotten a hug from you, even though we're like so far away. But that email meant so much and I printed it out and I kept it physically and I still have it in my email. So I don't know. I don't know if you remember that you sent it, I do. but it yes. was one of the most powerful messages I ever got from anyone. And we weren't that close at that time. But I know that set the path for our relationship. Yes, I think so, too. And I think at that point, you were still, you know, your sister's young, your, my friend's younger sister, right? I didn't know you that well. And, uh, and just some incidents that happened uh, to both of us. And all of a sudden, I said, oh, I'm just going to send her an email because I think she probably needs this. And, and, and I needed to write it, too. So it wasn't just for you. It was also for me. So yes, I do remember that email. I don't remember what I wrote, but I remember sending it to you and then crying while writing it. Really? Yeah. It's like, oh my God, I'm getting all teary right now. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I remember that email. You should send it back to me. Yeah, I should should reply. I think I did (laughs) reply. And I think you did. Yeah. When I was searching in the email, I just typed in Maliha. And all mm-hmm. these other messages popped up and there were comments I had saved from Facebook and other pages that were really, really supportive. Okay. So, yeah, I, I don't know if you, I mean, I didn't tell you that I've been saving your words, but, <laughs> but Alhamdulillah, they mean a lot. And I know your words and you know, what I like about you is you're very real. In my last episode, we talked about this thing called toxic positivity, which I've fallen victim to, which is, you know, I just pretend everything's okay and everything's fine. But I find with you, you acknowledge the crap. You you say it like it is. And then you slowly, slowly, you know, you support the person. So um, you were saying there were some incidences that happened. Do you want to share your experience with uh, what what are you talking about in that regards or what mental health challenges you faced? Well, I think when I wrote it, I I Oof, that must be at least a long time ago. And uh, I, I was in denial. My husband kept on saying, you're depressed. And I said, there is no way I'm depressed. I, you know, that's such a weak person thing to do. I'm a strong person. There is no way I am depressed. I'm just tired. And, um, and my depression did take like a physical aspect to it. I was always sleeping. I was constantly tired. And I thought, oh, okay, it's just a hormonal imbalance. Um, so it took a long time for me to actually acknowledge to myself that, you know, it, there is something definitely wrong with my mind here and I needed help. So I think when I wrote that letter to you, I think I was getting to that stage of trying to confirm to myself that, oh, yes. Maliha, you must, you probably have depression here and then you should get some kind of a help, some kind of help right there. Yeah. That's what I remember. That's interesting that when you needed help, you reached out and helped someone else. Well, yeah. And um, that kind of brings me back to this book I was reading, right? Called Mm -hmm. Lost Connections by Johan Harry. Harry. And he, he talks about how people, he thinks that there are seven causes of depression. And he says that, oh, uh, doctors keep on saying that there's some kind of a chemical imbalance in your head, but that's not true. There are other things. Uh, For example, the lost connections to your family and friends and community, things like that. A lost connections to 
to like intrinsic values about love or or respect instead of trying to go and get the biggest TV or the most expensive purse, people should try to get, you know, get something that is more deeper. And he, one of the solutions he says is to go help somebody. Hmm. Go help somebody. It'll take you out of your depression a little bit. It'll take you out of yourself. And, um, and I, I, I'm starting to believe that he is right here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. And it does like, I, I think my depression got better when I started talking to other people about it. Right. And remember the group we had on Facebook? Yeah. You know, that like, it kind of, you know, I felt lighter because we could talk about it, support each other. That's, I think that's one way to help ourselves when we have depression. That's true. I think that social connection is so important. And that's why we need to talk more and more about this. And uh, you said it was called loss connections. Yeah, lost connections. Okay, L O S S or L O S T? Lost. Sorry, lost. Oh, lost. Okay. Um, yeah, it's really telling of our society because we are in a capitalist society, materialism, and it's it's like the depression is coming out because of just how we live, you know, yeah. just being attached to objects and less to people. Not that we can't be, but mm-hmm. I think when we make that a priority and we lose meaningful connections in our life then it's it's like you, you'll start feeling depressed. Yeah. Um, you were saying that he said there's like seven causes. Yeah, seven. Do you want to share some of the other ones? Yes, the first one was lost connections, again, to family, friends, and community. Uh, there is loss of hope for the future. So you'll see a lot of teenagers have depressions nowadays because they think they don't have any more future. There's a, there's a climate crisis. Um, there is, you know, wars that don't seem to end anytime soon, things like that. There is, um, like I said, loss of intrinsic values such as love. People are more materialistic. There is um, also loss of connection to meaningful work. So if your work is a drudge, you're not going to be a very happy person. There is a lost connection to nature. One of the things I love about where I live is that I have the mountains so nearby and every time I go I feel like I am recharged I'm back to being myself there's childhood abuse or even abuse in general Uh, and then there is loss of connection to status and respect so if you don't have that respect from people or from peers you feel you would start to feel depressed according to this guy so for, for the longest time, I thought it was because I had babies and it was postpartum depression. And it, it made sense to me because, oh, you know, when you're pregnant, all these hormones come into effect and then you give birth. Uh, again, more hormones, you're probably sleep deprived and things like that. So it makes sense to have depression. But then when I was reading this book, it reminded me of where I was when I was pregnant and I had my first child. You know, like, I don't know if you remember, I had to actually fight my family to get married. I remember. (laughs) Yeah. To to my husband. So all of a sudden, I had this big, you know, I had this huge family and all of a sudden I kind of lost that. Right. And one of the things they had said that if you have any problems, you can't come to us. So when you tell a girl that, 
who does she go to when she has problems, right? You can't go to mom, I'm having problems. No, you can't say that. Mom, I fought with my husband today. You can't say that. So like I kind of lost a huge chunk of my support right there. And um, and I remember studying a lot. I was in university. I was studying a lot. I would like, you know, put my head down and not do anything else, but just study for like for a whole term. So I kind of didn't go out and interact with friends as much or, you know, socialize with friends as much. So I was losing my connections to friends and family because I was just in, you know, you know, studying and because I just got married. Then when I was um, pregnant, I remember that I couldn't do a lot of things. I couldn't get the help I needed I was still studying and I couldn't get my professors or my TAs to say to to give me time off after I've given birth. So like my daughter was due in February and I went to a bunch of TAs and teachers saying that, listen, I'm going to give birth on this day. Probably can I have some time off so I don't don't have to do any kind of midterms? And none of them would. None of them would actually. Yeah, they wouldn't except for one professor. So he was the only class I kept and I had to drop out. Like I was doing four classes. So I just took only one because that was the only professor who would actually accommodate me. And after she was born, um, my husband got into med school, so he was busy. So there was no way I was getting any help from him. And I lived I lived so far away from everywhere else and he would take the car to go to school. So I'd be stuck at home. So I had like lost all kinds of connections to everybody. I couldn't go out and meet people because it just took two and a half hours just to get to downtown to, to be with friends and even longer just to go, go see my mother, let's say. And, and, and like, I had no help when, um, when my husband was in school. So those, now that I think about it, I'm like, oh, that makes sense that I should be depressed, that it's not just, you know, some kind of hormonal imbalance or something like that. Uh, it was my situation. I just didn't think that those would cause me to be depressed. I thought I was a strong person, but it has nothing to do with strength. It's just the situation itself. And then you're reacting to it. Those were like some of my reasons for depression. I can see why you connected with the book so much. It basically. Yeah know highlights your situation yes like I mean in that situation yes and then there's the thing about meaningful work for me I would love to go out and work but somehow my life went in 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 a direction whereby I got stuck being a stay-at-home mom and I really really do not like doing that (laughs) like is it do I hate being a mother no I love being a mother I just don't want to be a stay-at-home mom but my situation worked out in that way that that's the only thing I have done so far. And to me, that, that feels meaningless. The, not that I'm raising my children to be, not that raising my children is meaningless. The fact that that's not the only thing I want to do. Mm-hmm. There are other things I want to do. Okay. Right? So how have you navigated that? Cause you're still raising your kids. They're at I'm home. still raising my kids and they're at home and <laughs> It seems like every time I take any kind of step towards trying to get a career going, nothing, nope. nothing works. Like something drastic happens. Either I move to a different city and then all of a sudden childcare is more expensive. 
or you know, move to another city, childcare is not as expensive. However, there's a pandemic and then you have to keep your kids yeah. at home. So it's like every single step I take just like doesn't, doesn't work out. Okay, so obviously you don't look depressed because sometimes you can tell from the outside and the way you're talking. So has something changed? Um, because you're still kind of far away from your family, right? You're not living close to them. Um, your husband is still working a lot. Your yeah. kids are still home. So situation-wise, it seems like it hasn't changed that much, even though you're, you have your family support now because they're obviously on board with your marriage after all this time. So what has changed? I think at this point, I kind of, this is very depressing, actually. I have given up on having any career for myself. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's like, I'm concentrating on what I can do right now. And which is I can raise my kids. I can take them outside, make sure they're studying properly. But at this point, nothing is going to help me get a career other than I don't know I have no idea what it what it could be so you've kind of accepted you've accepted your situation I have accepted my situation and I think that's actually depressing now it sounds depressing but I'm I'm thinking through that acceptance maybe just acknowledging that yes I'm at this spot that I don't want to be in but because you've accepted it's like you stop fighting it yeah. Do you think that could have changed your outlook? My, actually, my therapist said something like that. It said, she said something about, it's not about giving up or, you know, giving up on your dreams. It's just, you've been fighting against the tide so much, against the current so much. You have, you know, when, once you give up, you actually let go of the disappointment and uh, things like that. So I think that's what's happened. Like I, I feel I feel like it's a realistic situation right now. My dream was unrealistic. And so I feel like since I have let it go, I don't have to concentrate so much of my energy on it anymore. I can do other things. So you mentioned therapy. Yeah. When did that start and how has that helped? Um, therapy, I would say I started maybe 10 years ago. And you know what? I couldn't always find the right therapist. You need to have a connection. So I've, I've met few people and they didn't always connect with me. I seem to prefer women over men because I, I, I feel like they can see what I'm going through as women. So um, I had two very good ones. Yeah. Is it online or do you see them in person? No, the first one I saw in person because I lived in a different city. But then when I moved to this smaller one, I and it was the pandemic, I found her online. Okay. And did you find like in the beginning you had resistance to therapy? Like you're like, oh, that's not for me. Or were you always kind of inclined towards it? Um, well, the first few people I met, they they were what I considered to be hippie. <laughs> you know, they would, they would just talk in this really low, calm voice. And um, how did you find that? I, I don't know, Google. 
No, like, I mean the the way they talk, like oh no, I found it frustrating. Yes, yes, because they, you know, they would just let me talk, and I felt like I'm going there for a solution, and nobody was giving me any, and I was spending hundreds of dollars an hour on them, and I didn't like you know like kept on talking for weeks, and I couldn't get anywhere. Still frustrated and angry and and depressed. Sorry. But then one I found and she, you know, she took like about four sessions. She's like, oh, I see what your problem is. And then she would give me homework. She would say, go do this. And then even if it feels stupid, go do it. And then I feel like those are the therapies that I like. Okay. So you like really practical hands-on. Exactly. She would actually say, go do this, uh, make a schedule, go talk to your husband for two 20 minutes, something like that. Just like go out and get, you know, practical stuff, like you said. Okay. So is this the therapist you have now or this this was no, no, this is a different one. And she's similar to that one too. She she'll tell me, she'll give me homework, like you need to go out, Molia. Just go for a walk. Okay. Go so for like a man's walk. Okay. Like and is she Muslim or do you find that there's no difference? It doesn't matter. To me, it doesn't matter. This one is Muslim. To me, it doesn't matter because I don't find my my problem to be related to religion. It's basically my situation. It's, it's, it's society. So therefore, I don't need a religious point of view here. Okay, that's good. Because it, it depends on the person too. Yeah. That sometimes they want somebody who's Muslim and then sometimes they don't. Have you shared like with your other friends or family that you dealt with depression or not really? Some of my friends know. My family might have an idea and only some of them and only because I might have said something like, yeah, I'm depressed. (laughs) That's about it. But I have never discussed depression with my family. Oh, okay. And do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Or you think that just works for you in your situation right now? It works for me in my situation. And like I said, it's hard to talk to my family because and I think this applies to a lot of people is that they will say, oh, just get over it or maybe yeah. pray more, right? Uh, so things like that, like there, you have no reason to be depressed. You have such a nice house. <laughs> things like, you know, it doesn't yeah. make any sense to me, but it makes sense to them. Or like, oh, um, you're complaining about being a stay-at-home mom. There are other women who would love to be in your space, right? Things like that. So I, I don't find it useful talking to them. about my depression with friends it's easier because I feel uh, with one of my friends actually here in this city because her life is basically paralleling mine they you know like she's her husband's a doctor she's got two kids and um, she wants to have a career for herself but somehow she just ended up being a stay-at-home mom moving here to there for her husband's career just like I have done you know moving from here to there to here for my husband's career and um, so like she and I understand each other very very well it's like almost parallel life and she's from a different country wow so it's that social connection you found somebody in your situation and that has helped with your depression yeah therapist yes okay I have a therapist Um, and this friend who who totally understands what I'm going through and of course there's you like sometimes I am always texting you (laughs) I love her text because, you know, there's people that you need to say, assalamu alaikum, how are you doing? And then you go blah, 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 blah. 
Yeah. But with you, it's like, I don't need to say salam. I just pick up where I left off in my last text and that's it. So there's only certain people I have that with. And Alhamdulillah, you're one of them. It's easy that way, right? I hope like, I, you know, I hope I have helped you somehow. You have, you have. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad to be there for you because you have definitely been there for me. Uh, And uh, one of you have been there for me. I even named one of my kids after you, right? Yes, I remember. I feel honored. <laughs> um, when you were talking about your family and saying, or just in general, a lot of people say, you know, pray, pray it away or, you know, look at that person. That is exactly, um, last week I had, or in my last episode, I had Dr. Farah Islam on, and she talked about toxic positivity and spiritual bypassing. And that's exactly what you described. Um, So if somebody, they open up, like, did it take you time to find that friend who you have support with now, who's in the same situation as you? No, we just met accidentally, seriously, because really, yeah, she's from the other side of the world. And somehow she ended up being in this tiny town, Alberta. And uh, we just met outside one day. We have kids same age and we just connected and then you know everything she says I'm like oh my god I have I'm going to through this and everything I say she's going through too so it you know I feel like she she's my long lost twin really yeah and even though she's much younger she's my long lost twin and it didn't take very long for us to become very close and also because we're t- we're in a small city, so not very Muslims around. So you try to make you make connections way easier to other people who are like you. Okay, all right, that's that's good because some people have a hard time finding that support, especially if they don't have it in their family, and then they don't want to open up, maybe even with their friends, and then they encounter that oh, everything's fine. Why are you complaining? Uh, Or just go pray more like that. How would you, you know, if somebody's going through depression, especially during this pandemic, and I can imagine a mother who stay at home, she has kids and, you know, she starts feeling depressed just because of that social isolation. And when she does open up, she's met with that, you know, prayed away, all that, all that stuff. How would you say, you know, what, what should she do? What should that person do? Like you already showed that you got support from a friend, you have a therapist. What else? Well, I would tell them to continue praying <laughs> because one of the things have, that happens to me when I'm depressed is that I stop praying. That's one of my signs. And I feel like if I'm force myself to pray, it, it's kind of like a meditation, I'm not saying that that's what's going to solve it. I'm just saying that it's one of the... One of the major tools. Yeah, I would use it as a tool. But, you know, if somebody says pray it away, I don't think it works that way at all. And I think when you are praying, this is very hard to answer. Because if you are making dua, it might be that the therapist you get is the answer to your dua. Yeah. Right? right? Um, the friend that I needed to find right in the street might be my the answer to my dua. So it's like when somebody says you're depressed because you're not praying, they're yeah. attributing the depression to, the to lack your lack of faith, your lack of praying. You're yeah. saying that's not right. What is the correct view or the helpful view is that yes, I'm depressed and I'm going to turn to Allah for help 
Just because I'm depressed doesn't mean I stop talking to him. Exactly. That's it. You have done a better job of explaining to me. But again, like I said, when I'm depressed, I stop praying. It's It's very hard. And, you know, I I struggle with that so much because with my bipolar, um, these past few weeks have been very hard because it was it happens every summer, which is more sun means I'm going to be a little bit higher little bit up and slightly, you know, hypomanic. And what happens during that is I start doing extra prayers. Okay. And I just sometimes get, I get carried away with it. And then during depression, it's to the point where I can't even pray. You know, it is very, very tough just to get out of bed. I mean, this is nothing about, you know, Islamic fiqh or that. I just wonder how, you know, how you can, wrestle with that, that, okay, I do have a condition, especially if it's a diagnosed condition. And when I'm not feeling well, it is harder for me to pray physically, I can, but just because of the mental, like torment or mental like baggage, it is very hard to pray. And I remember having some other people on and they would feel guilty about that, that when they couldn't pray, and they felt like a bad Muslim. And that I think it goes back to, you know, the stigma other people have, you're depressed because you're not praying. But then when we're depressed and we're not praying, we feel more depressed about it. Exactly. So like, what, what do you think about that? Cause I still struggle with that when I can't pray and I know it, I want to, I have that intention. And there's been times where I've lied in bed and I've prayed lying down. Cause I'm like, okay. I hadn't, um, you, you know, a FIFA, right? Yeah. Yeah. So she came on before and she gave a really good tip. She said, just do the prayer in whatever way you can. Like, doesn't mean you have to stand up. It doesn't mean you even have to sit, but just don't let go of that habit. And I like that you brought that up, that you you didn't just dismiss prayer, but you said it's actually a tool that you need to hold on to. That That's a good point of Afifa. I mean, it totally makes sense. I remember the first time I was diagnosed with depression, I didn't pay, pray for two years. And I kept on making the last thing like, oh God, <laughs> I can't do it. Just forgive me. And, you know, just be there for me, forgive me. And I will eventually do it. And what would happen is that suddenly, like months later, I would have this urge to pray. And then I would just pray. It it could be just like Turaka. That's it. And nothing else. And like summer, summer up here is weird with the sun (laughs) going down at like 1040. So there have been prayers I have missed just because I'm sleeping. We forget that Allah is there to help us, to forgive us when we make mistake. And then we're trying our best. And then we forget that our best sometimes just has to be good enough when we're depressed. That's the, that's the only thing we can do at that point. Like those are the only tools we have. I do feel guilty when I'm not praying, but I also know that Allah is forgiving. And I feel like that he's seeing me struggle. He's seeing how hard it is for me to just, you know, get up from the bed and then just go do wudu and then come back and do prayers, how hard that is, you know, and it's not a physical thing. It's actually a mental block that I cannot go force myself to do this at all. I try to remember that, that Allah is forgiving. And I'm always making dua, talking to God, use it as a tool for in your depression. I don't think it, I don't know if it would help you out of it, but I think you might get answers to your prayers and it doesn't have to be the salah, just the dua that I'm really asking you for help right now. 
And it could be, like I said, the solutions could be anything. It could be the person you meet in the street all of a sudden because they, you guys have the same aged kids. It could be you, right? Because I, I didn't know anything about you until, and then until like you started talking about yourself and your bipolar, right? And I feel like some, you know, that verse, no, that hadith that says, or is it a verse? that says God is closer to you than your juggler vein. Yes. So and I feel like that's what God is, that he knows the struggle we're going through and then he will send answers. So it seems like Allah is adding meaning to your life because when you were talking about that book, Lost Connections, yeah. the author was talking about um, not having meaningful work or loss of values. Yeah, but Alhamdulillah, you've stuck to your values and looks like that has really helped you. It's funny because this guy is an atheist and I feel like all his solutions are very religious. It's yeah. interesting, yeah? Yeah, like connecting with your friends uh, and uh, or your family. For me to connect with my family, I feel like there needs to be some kind of forgiveness on my part or uh, like me forgiving them. And you know how religions are always saying forgiveness is better right instead of holding on to this like resentment yeah. or anger so, so like he says things <laughs> this guy says the same thing as religions say go help people when you're depressed you might actually feel much better find joy sympath sympathetic joy that's what he says like feel joy for others when they do good or something good happens to them instead of feeling jealous feel happy for them sympathetic joy I like that term yeah it's it's a very good one like I feel like religion gives meaning like that that the solutions are already there and uh, we just have to work with those solutions that's already there I mean I think people are discovering things but it to me it feels like it's just going back to God again we're born with an innate need to have something or to worship something outside of ourselves. Yeah. You know, we have that need. So even if someone can call themselves an atheist, I mean, I don't know what's in their heart. At the same time, it seems like they're still, quote unquote, worshiping something, which might be these values. And they actually sound very noble. They're very aligned with Islam. So and when you keep talking about prayer and dua, I think what really changed my mindset about Salah um, is I listen to a lot of Yasmin Majahid's work okay. and she has a new website now, Yasmin Majahid TV, where she has like all her old lectures and courses she ever did. And one of the things she keeps drilling and like, re like saying over and over again is that Salah is your oxygen. It's your oxygen. Salah is the thing that keeps your heart fresh. Like you wouldn't go a week, you know, even a couple of days uh, without a shower. I mean, I have when I'm really depressed, but <laughs> a normal person in a healthy way, you would not do that. Or you would not, you know, go two days without eating because, you know, those are your physical needs. Or like when you have to go to the washroom, you're not going to say, oh, I'm going to hold it in and just go at night, you know, go uh, all of all my washroom breaks. I'm going to combine them and go at night. You're not going to do that because you have that need and you meet it. And it's the same thing with the heart. The oxygen of the heart is remembering Allah and praying to him. And the Prophet ﷺ, his life, there's some points that are like ingrained in my heart and or engraved in my heart. And one of them was that 
when he came back, when he first got the revelation and he was really scared, he thought, you know, like I'm seeing things because the angel, you know, when angel Jibreel, alayhi salam, he appeared, it, I mean, it could be traumatizing. Like you're seeing something that you're like, how can I see that? And so when he came back to his wife, you know, he was just tired from it and he was scared. And in the Quran, I'm going to link in the show notes the exact eye. I don't have, I don't know by off by heart. But he was really tired and he was really exhausted. And you would think like if you see a friend who's gone through kind of a big traumatic thing and they're tired, you would say, oh, go lie down, you know, go take a break. But he was commanded to pray, Mm -hmm. which is kind of counterintuitive, right? If somebody's tired, you say, oh, go to sleep or Mm -hmm. go take a break. But his command was get up and pray and pray a lot, especially at night. And that thing has really saved me in so many times. And alhamdulillah, there's times when I've just hit a block with someone and I just want to rip them apart. (laughs) I know I can't because that means it'll destroy my relationship with them. And I really love them. But I know just at this point, I need to step away and go and talk to Allah. And prayer is the answer. I think we, we have to see it as an answer, but it's not just because if we don't pray, it doesn't mean we're a bad Muslim. Yeah. So Salah is really key. And I think as Muslims, we're so blessed that we have that built into our faith. And a lot of other people, they have to like stumble and, you know, find, find it somehow and, and call it meditation or, you know, and I don't consider Salah meditation. I think that devalues it. Okay. If somebody's like, oh, I exercise today already, so I don't need to pray. Because they think <laughs> Salah is like a physical exercise. Right. Or they say, you know what, I meditated and stuff, so I don't need to pray. But it's like, I think it's a disservice when somebody says that, you know, Salah is meditation. But I think it depends on your definition of meditation. For example, I think meditation just means to go out of yourself. And I think Salah can help doing do that if you're praying really well, right? Mm. The fact that you're out of your mind, out of your mind, you're out of yourself, and um, you're trying to praise Allah. And I think that that's people have uh, struggles with that all the time. It doesn't matter if you're depressed or not. To do a good prayer while where you're concentrating on just Allah. You know, trying to do that is a form of meditation just to, you know, get out of your own mind and concentrate on something that's way more deeper, more meaningful. So I think it depends on your definition. Mm-hmm. Of so it's like being having mindful salah. No, you would consider yeah. that meditation. Yeah, I would. Con- yes, I would. And five times a day for like 10 minutes. That's pretty, not even 10 minutes, like five minutes. Yeah, next. it's not a lot. Yeah. There's um, another podcaster. Um, he has a podcast called 10% Happier. Mm-hmm. And his name is Dan Harris. And he was really anti-religion. He even considered himself an atheist. And he still doesn't identify with any one religion. Um, but he went on a meditation uh, retreat mm-hmm. where for 10 days he, he did not talk to anyone. And he just meditated. And I was like, oh, that's like in Ramadan when you do itikaf. you know it's interesting it's like us humans we're doing basically the same things just giving it different names and different labels 
But subhanAllah, it's like we are really very connected. We are. And I think when we put up like um, different outside appearances, then you think the, that person is very different than you. But in essence, you're basically, you're probably having the same experience. And if you just open up and share and you're not afraid to be kind of a little bit, you know, vulnerable, you find, mm -hmm. hey, you're going through the same thing. And I think that is life-changing. Like you found your friend, um, you have your therapist talking to Allah. It's about opening up. And that can be scary in the beginning, but I think you just have to take that step and do that. A lot, like I said, a lot of people say, why don't you just pray your depression away? I don't want to give the impression that praying, not praying is going to prevent you from, you know, becoming better, getting rid of your depression. I, I want to give the impression that praying is just one of the tools that you have. That if you're not praying doesn't mean you're a bad Muslim or that you'll always be depressed and then you're not helping your depression. I just think it's one of the tools that you have. Praying, therapy, if you need medication, um, support system, those, those are all connected. They, they are connected. And depression, it, it can have biological causes. And I find when I see mental illness or mental health challenges as something physical or something in the head, and then I focus on the heart. Mm -hmm. Then when I do hit a rut, when I do have a mental health challenge, because I'm focusing on the heart, it's much easier to deal with it. Because your brain's going to tell you one thing. Uh, but if your heart is strong enough, if you've nurtured it, then your heart can lift you out of that. And I think in our society, we really like neglected that spiritual aspect that heart and salah is that's that's the oxygen for the heart so it's it's not i think if you say oh i'm gonna pray when i'm down or when i need help and i'll only turn to allah then that is a very i find for myself a very dangerous strategy because it's like you know when the storm hits then i'll start you know then i'll go and buy the umbrella or then i'll go and get my raincoat or the winter coat but the storm is already there so I need to prepare beforehand and thinking about life that I'm going to expect there to be another quote unquote pandemic. Um, I've been reading a lot of finance books during this COVID uh, time too. And it's, it's crazy how many new books have been published about finance and COVID or the pandemic. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I, cause I, um, the libraries were all closed. Uh -huh. and slowly they opened up like in person and there was like express aisles that were open before here and in there they would have you know all the new books and me I just love browsing like browsing books and those were the new ones so I just grabbed it and one of the interesting things that many of the authors were saying is that don't think this is the only time a financial hardship will hit prepare for it because it's part of life you're going to hit another one or we're going to hit another one. And I think that's just life in general, just because you're depressed now and you think, okay, I've gotten over it. That's it. Um, I don't need to pray as much now. Then that's an unrealistic way of looking at life. You're going to hit another rut and prayer is the thing that keeps you afloat. It's the remembrance of Allah that just keeps you up there. And sometimes it's not very, um, it's not very attractive advice to give to someone either. They don't really want to hear it either. You know, it's not very like, oh, let's go take a trip or let's go shopping. You'll feel better than, you know, 
it's yeah. not something because I I've tried to tell people that you know that you know maybe turn to Allah or that but it doesn't always work like they're not very receptive how how would you say not not try to give advice to someone else but let's say you yourself like someone listening right now they're not very receptive to that or they find it just like what are some practical things you would give to someone to help um with their depression using salah how can they nurture their heart what are just like practical things because i know you're very practical <laughs> well being practical i would not ever presume to give anybody religious advice because i i don't know what their level of religiosity is you know if they believe in allah or not if they do is it a very um is it a concrete thing for them or is it an abstract thing for them i don't know so i rarely do that uh i would rarely do that actually what if and they're coming that, to talk to you if they're coming to talk to me i i will talk to them but i have never to this day i don't think or maybe i have have i i've talked to you a lot texted with you a lot but i don't feel like i have ever said anything religious Well, I think there's times I've asked you about religion or sometimes I'm I'm having like a low time. I think when somebody asks you directly, then don't, I I think, would you find, okay, don't be shy to, if they're asking directly, I need advice or I'm having a hard time praying. In that case, would you just say it outright to say, okay, I do this, or maybe you can do that like that. Yes. Then I would say I do this that I just make a lot of dua. Okay. If I can't, you know, make myself do salah, then I will do dua. Um, I might actually try to get myself praying and I would say, do you want to do it together? Mm. Like, do you want to wake up for Fajr together and Mm -hmm. try it, you know, just a little bit of help like that. Um, And I think when it comes to religion, sometimes praying together or fasting together or reading the Quran together helps. And it doesn't have to be a big group, just two people, you know, so that it's easier to manage to it's easier to um, schedule. Right. Mm -hmm. So like I would do that. I would not say, Oh, you have to, you know, count subhanallah 33 times, alhamdulillah 33 times. I would perhaps actually help her physically in that process. Maybe I'll say, let's go to the masjid, just you and me, and then go have some tea. Wow, or like can... maybe have go have some tea and then we'll just drop by the masjid a little bit. Things you like combine that. so many of the the book that you're talking about, Lost Connection. Yeah. You talked about, you know, if you have if you've lost hope or loss of values, or you're just feeling alone, your tip of uh, praying with someone or taking them to the mosque and hanging out, you've tackled so many of the causes just in that one tip, (laughs) like the social connection. And if you're walking to the mosque or you're in the area you're in and it's beautiful and there's nature, you're connecting to nature, praying, you're connecting to your values and even praying. It it is, it's not work where you get paid, but it is still meaningful. It's a meaningful activity. So, wow. Thank you. That, that was a very powerful tip. I love it. Thank you. I'm just talking about the masjid we have here. It's right in the middle of downtown. I think maybe one tree in front of it. 
<laughs> even grass anywhere so there is no natural connection no but nature it does help because i feel a lot more connected to allah and his creation when i'm in nature and it doesn't have to be you know a big trip to a national park it could be just just the park down the street because it's got a bit of water and a bunch of trees and that helps you know just a little walk in a among trees help there was one thing i heard about nature and it's always stuck with me which is that if you're outside and you're watching the sky and mm-hmm. you see a cloud and you see a tree you never think that oh if the cloud was a little bit more down or if the tree was a little bit more this way then it would be perfect we never yeah. do that right because when we are outside we accept it the way it is even if it's very imperfect but we don't try to change it and i find that that goes back to your situation where you just accepted you yeah. know that this is the way it is i know it sucks like you know you go outside i know there's bugs i know it smells or maybe sometimes it's humid but you don't fight it you accept it yeah and that acceptance i think that's where from my end from what i see that's where your journey to recovery began you just accepted and you stopped wasting energy and trying to fight your situation yeah. and who knows you know you you might find meaningful work soon and i don't know if you want to share that you've done some screenwriting or some really I, creative I, work yes i've taken few courses i've been trying to become a filmmaker for the longest time but just never worked out um and the thing is that i know it's a very hard industry like a difficult industry for anybody and everybody and uh, there you're not going to see success soon or ever actually did you enjoy writing the but i do enjoy writing i i do enjoy writing the stories and i like the screenwriting format because it uh, i'm not very descriptive in my writing so the screenwriting format is very good because it's what's the word i'm looking for see i'm out of words and i'm a writer uh succinct it's just very easy like this person's in the room they say this and you don't have to describe the room or anything like that not to you know not to that extent you see in uh, in uh, novels but i and during the pandemic i kept reading all kinds of people who are in the industry saying that this is not the time you're not going to sell anything because there's a pandemic and then the pandemic uh, like uh, 18 months later they'll say no you won't sell anything because all the things that were sold before the pandemic has started hasn't been made yet so nobody's buying anything new so for me to like concentrate on that when it's going to be impossible to do anything feels like a waste of energy when i can be doing something else right mhm um are there other creative things that you do or do you find if you put that stuff aside like whether it'll get published or whether um it'll sell when just for a moment when you suspend that do you actually enjoy it or if it's okay it's okay if that is your goal as well cuz you don't just want it to sit and nobody ever reads it either but do you find if you separate the two do you actually enjoy that thing or is there something else that is creative that really helps you feel better i i enjoy the writing um actually i enjoy coming up with the stories i don't enjoy the writing i don't think any writer enjoys writing it's just so frustrating trying to put everything on paper yeah i remember you shared the story i don't remember exactly but when you told me what you were writing it was pretty interesting 
So yeah, I like to come up with the stories. Right now, I'm thinking about a romantic comedy, which That'd I actually, be cool. <laughs> I absolutely hate rom coms, but I'm just thinking of one right now, starring Anthony Mackie, who would never <laughs> make any of my movies. And yeah, I just think I, I will come up with ideas like that. And I think that I have the whole story in my head, but putting it down on paper is another task. And I feel like why go through this trouble when I know it's going to be so hard to sell it? You know, and even you never know. You never know. Yeah, I know. There's always that hope you never know. Yeah. But, I mean, I one of the things is that um I got selected by this. Um, there's this Muslim group in the US whereby they try to connect writers or filmmakers to uh, people who are already in the industry. Mm -hmm. So I got connected to a, I guess, a production company. That's and really good. They, yeah, they, they liked my story and they wanted me to help make it better. And I, I went to Los Angeles for one day and I loved it. Like they just said, you this, you can do so much better. They criticized my work and I loved it because I feel like, oh yes, I got professional help here. They said that one of the things you have to do, you have to make connections to other people, <laughs> lost connections. You have to make connections to other people who are, in that, who are in this business, but you have to be genuinely nice. Do not try to make friends with them just so you can get something out of it. You have to be a real nice person because that's the right thing to do. Wow, that's good and, advice. Uh, yeah, it is good advice. It's good, it's good advice for life. But the thing is that, you know, right here, I'm <laughs> up north living in northern Canada. It's it's not easy to find any filmmakers here, right? If you want to make find filmmakers in Canada, you go to Toronto or go to Vancouver. I'm nowhere near either of those big cities. So I feel like it's an impossible task. And then I would be dooming myself to more depression, more disappointment if I keep on following this path, right? Sure, I think I feel like I would be a better writer if I just let go of, of all the expectations. And then if it works out, it works out. Not to put all my eggs in one basket in this case, you know, just like if it works out, it's fine. And I feel peace. I feel at peace with that with that decision. yeah because yeah. really none of us are in charge of the outcome it's just yeah we can only do our work our effort and that's it and yeah I would I would recommend that same advice that you just said I would I would keep to that you would not believe like I had a blog in 2008 uh morning wind and then mm -hmm. I closed that and then I started another one um Muslim bipolar and in each one I put my heart like days and days of writing and work and time and then I started uh, uh, sabamalik.com. So that's still up. And now I have this. And I felt like the previous two, I put so much work and even money and everything. And I felt like I lost it. It didn't get anywhere. Because me, it was all about, okay, I need to sustain it. And that that's where I would hit the rut. Like, you know, the selling part, the making money part, because I could only um, fund it up to a certain point. And then I felt like I, I can't go any further. So I would just close it or uh, I got married or I had a kid. And there were things that just kept popping up and I would just shut it down. This one, <laughs> this one, I promised myself that no matter how hard it gets, no matter how much it sucks, I'm just going to keep going. And it's the toughest part is that every time I put out an episode or even a post on social media, I'm like, 
it has to do well. It has to be perfect. It has to sound well. But then I tell myself it's better. I put out, you know, an average thing versus I don't do anything at all. It's like, yeah, not being tied tied to the end result. Cause I fall into that same thing as, as you're, you're saying that if I think about, oh, is my podcast actually going to do as well as some of the big people or my writing? No, probably not. I know. (laughs) I accepted that. Am I going to make like lots of money out of it? No, probably not. Uh, But I do know if I stop that creative process, it makes me depressed. It's it's like you, you need that creative outlet. And for some people, it's writing. For some people, maybe it's working out. For some, it's like working in the community. But just in my experience, every time I shut down that creative part of myself, I feel like I do feel depressed. Don't focus on the end result so much. Just even if it really sucks, just keep going, even if it's something tiny. It seems like doing this is your meaningful work. Yes, right? I know. Okay, fine. Yes, <laughs> it's my meaningful work. It's not giving you the money you want, but I think it's keeping you from feeling like a failure, I think, because you are actually doing meaningful work for other people. It means to, it's kind of that email I sent you, I guess we're back to that. I think you, you're probably reaching at least one person, right? In your podcast, Yeah, inshallah, at least one person. And I think that's, that's, that's a good thing. It's not millions of people. But I think you're doing, you're changing that other person's life because you're bringing something, you're giving them something they're not thinking about. And it's, that's what happened with uh, you and me, because until you actually said you had bipolar, I didn't want to admit that I had depression. And imagine, and then we did that Facebook group and so many people connected with us, right? Yeah. And then they have probably connected to other people in their lives. So I think you are doing meaningful work, even if it's not at the level you want to be at. With this meaningful work, like my podcast, there's times where it is tough and I try to leave it, but there's seriously times where I cannot sleep at night because I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to stop. And then I feel like it's something bigger than me Mm because inshallah, I want this work, whether it's through me or someone else, I want it to continue when I'm gone. This peer to peer support about Muslims talking about their mental health challenges, because there's so many professionals, right? You know, doctors giving advice and talking to their patients or their clients. But I do not see peer to peer where one Muslim or, you know, uh, a sister and they're going through depression and they're talking to someone at the same level as them, because it's really when you connected with your friend that it helped you, right? It pulled you out and you felt like that connection that can be life changing. And that's the same thing that happened to you. When I shared, when I opened up, you opened up. Yeah. So that peer to peer is so gold. And there's sometimes that it is very difficult. Like that Facebook group, it is difficult to maintain too, because at a certain point, when you talk too much about it, or when Mm -hmm. you connect too much, you feel like, okay, overstimulation, or I I can't be listening to her problem all the time, because then it starts affecting me. So there's a balance with that too. So I have to occasionally step back and then rejuvenate and then come back and say, okay, I'm going to support someone because they need it. And then at the same time, if I feel exhausted, I can step back and, you know, take a break and then come back again. Because if you're not mentally fit yourself, it's very hard to just be there for the other person. 
Oh, it's impossible. Yeah. It's literally impossible because you cannot get out of your own head to go and help somebody else. And that's why I feel like if you have a deep connection for your mental health, one or two people, it's easier than, you know, a whole Facebook page or a whole community. Yeah. I think it, and uh, again, that depends on the personality. Some people do well with, uh, with a crowd but for me i would need a very you know two three people maximum yeah if you can have really deep conversations that you want to keep private then yeah a couple of people um and we have that uh, yeah. we have a third person i'm trying to get her on too but she said uh Saba, you're probably gonna have to censor the whole episode if i come on <laughs> so i'm I like okay I- i'll wait for you to calm down a bit maybe when you're a little settled and then you can come on because I think it would be cool for the three of us to be on or just to have her on because she's a really fun person. So. Should all three of us do something together yeah. like that? Because uh, I think that would be a very interesting podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because we have three different uh, viewpoints, I think, in this case. Yeah. Yeah. And different experiences in life. So um, it helps. Then other people who have perhaps something similar to you or something similar to me or to the other person we're talking about, they will feel, they will feel connected. They will go like, Oh, okay. There is hope for me. Yeah. Somebody who's like me is going through the same thing. So yeah, it's not a top down thing. It's like an across. So it feels very human. It feels natural. Like you're talking to an extension of yourself. Yeah. Like that. That was a really good chat. I, I liked it. And I'm glad sure that you opened good? up. Sorry. Sure? I feel like I've, I feel like I didn't do a very good job because I get stuck with words in my head. It's easier. Well, to- what defines good? Like <laughs> it's easier huh? for me to type the words than to speak it. I find that's why I like writing better. Yeah. It does give you more control. That's true. Yeah. It, yeah. The writing part, it does give you more control, but then somebody listening in, maybe they don't want to read somebody's carefully manicured thoughts. You know, maybe they just want to hear them, you know, their struggle and their falls as they're talking about something that's very difficult. You know, I find that is gold. That is a connection that you can't get in words sometimes. Okay. Thanks so much for coming on. It was fun seeing you again. You too. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you benefited. And if you did, please share this with your family and friends. And remember to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcast. And remember to go on mentallyfitmuslims.org slash sustain to help contribute, to help sustain this organization and to keep investing in your mental health. Take care. See you next time. Assalamu alaikum.